I want to remind us of a couple of things, and I know that the review may seem a bit extensive uh, this evening, but it serves a purpose. I want us to be reminded of this. I want this to be so ingrained in our way of thinking that uh, you get tired of hearing this. But I want to remind us tonight that the book of Hebrews was was written by a Jew to Jews. Okay, And in doing so, this was a man who, as he wrote to fellow Jews, understood the culture as well as the people he was writing to. And so there were some things that needed to be explained. There are other things that did not need to be explained because it was common knowledge based upon their, uh, their relationship by way as fellow Jews. And so there were some things that just did not need to be explained. But we know that as we've gone through the first couple of chapters, that the Jews have struggled to know who is Jesus and why did Jesus come to this earth. And so the writer has been very thorough in explaining that Jesus Christ is God. And that is so important for us to understand that Jesus Christ was not just a good man. He, He was not just a prophet. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a healer. He was and he is God. And as a result of him being God, the scripture went on to explain that Christ came to this earth in verse number 9 so that he might taste death for every man. Christ came to this earth to die on the cross for the sins of men and women so that they might be able to have eternal life so that though they would die physically, they did not have to die spiritually. So the physical death of Christ took care of the spiritual death of mankind if man would place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then last week, as we continued down through verse number 15, we watched as the writer also explained this, that the death of Christ accomplished a deliverance of fear or from fear of death for those who would trust in him. Because the writer talked about how people lived in this bondage or they were subject to this bondage of fear as it related to death. The Jews were very much involved in a works-based religious system at this stage of their history. And so there was an uncertainty and there was an ignorance as to what happens when a person dies. Have I been good enough? Have I done everything that I'm supposed to do? And so the writer explains that because Christ came and he sanctified, and or he died on the cross so that people might be sanctified, that they might be saved. He said, because of that, you do not have to fear death. And so last week I tried to remind us that there are still many people in our culture today who have a works-based approach to their spiritual life. What they are hoping is is that at the end of their life they'll be good enough, that at the end of their life all of their good will outweigh their bad, and maybe, just maybe, that'll be enough to to get them to enter into heaven. And that is not at all the way a person needs or should want to live their life. You and I can know for certain that we are saved, that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we know that, not because of what we have done, but but, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf, when we know that, we do not and should not fear death. It doesn't mean we are excited about it. It does not mean that we anxiously anticipate it. But we do not have to fear death. And that's good to know, because Satan would love to get us to be fearful about death, because any time we are fearful and any time we are in bondage to anything other than the lordship of Christ, then Satan has us in a position where we're not as productive, where we're not as fruitful, where we're not uh, the Christian that we're supposed to be. 
And so that's what we talked about to this point, and that's kind of summarizing the thoughts uh, up until, obviously, tonight's passage. Tonight I want to begin by saying some things that are not an effort on my part. It is not an effort on my part uh, to gain any kind of sympathy. I don't suspect it would be granted anyways if I were looking for it this evening, but that's not the intention of it, okay? You know tonight, by way of profession, I'm called a pastor or I'm called a preacher. Some call me a minister, others call me the reverend, and there are other names I'm sure given to preachers. But uh, nonetheless, the ones that I like to go by would be either that of a pastor or that of a preacher. Now, in this area, it, it would be uncommon to find someone who doesn't understand what it means to be a preacher. But every once in a while, you stumble across someone who would say something like this, so what do you do for a living? And I respond with, well, I'm a pastor. And you can tell that they don't have enough religious background in their life to really know what a pastor is or what a pastor does. And so they say, oh, okay, so, so what exactly do you do? And as soon as they ask that, it's kind of like, oh, man, couldn't you have just been satisfied with the answer, I'm a pastor or I'm a preacher? Because now that you have asked me, so what exactly is it that you do, I have to try to explain to you, well, I, I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and I teach a Sunday school class, and they look at you like, well, what's that? Okay, well, never mind, just, just, just trust that I preach, okay? Uh, don't worry about that. Okay, well, what else do you do? I mean, that's only one day, and, and really, what, a Wednesday night you said? Yes. So what else do you do the rest of your week? Well, you, you kind of have to study for those things. Oh, okay, I guess I didn't realize that. So, so what else do you do? Well, I, I mean, we're kind of a smaller church, so because we're a smaller church, we don't have a big staff, so I'm the one who takes care of this, and I try to take care of this, and I try to take care of this, and I try to take care of this. And, and whenever I'm done explaining all of it, you can tell they still don't really have a good grasp of what it is I do, but they just kind of look at you and say, oh, okay, well, that, that's fine, whatever. This evening, you know that I'm a pastor, you know that I'm a preacher, and because of your exposure to the activity around here, you have a better understanding of what it is I do on a weekly basis. Now, some of you may still sit there and wonder sometimes, I don't know what he does all week. Trust me, I, I stay busy, okay? I, I really do. I stay busy, and, 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 and some of you understand that, some of you know that. But there are times throughout the weeks and there are times throughout the years that certain things have come up. And if you said to me, so what did you do this week, Brother Kyle? How was your week this week, Brother Kyle? I might say to you something like this. It was fine. It was fine. And I want you to leave it at that. You've asked how my week was. I told you it was fine. Just take that at face value. It was fine. It was good. Don't pursue it any further than that. Because sometimes things happen in my week that I don't want to talk about. Things happen in my week that I'd rather not discuss with any of you 
And there's a reason why I don't want to talk about it, and there's a reason that I don't want to discuss it. And don't take offense to what I'm about to say, because I'm going to explain it more in just a couple of moments. But there's a reason that I don't want to discuss what I've dealt with this week or what I've been doing in the past several days, because really, at the end of the conversation, you won't understand what I'm talking about anyways. And you know why you wouldn't understand what I'm talking about? Because you've not been in this position. You don't quite fully know what it means sometimes to be the pastor or the preacher of a church. So you don't quite understand what it means to get this phone call. Or you don't quite understand what it means whenever I say, yeah, I had this conversation. You don't quite understand the full ramification of what it means to, to be dealing with this family situation. There are times that, that I, I, again, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to, to make it sound like I really deal with things that you don't understand. But truth be told, I really do deal with some things that you all don't understand because it is not a part of your life and it is not a part of your daily experience. And so because you have not yet experienced it, you can't really identify with it. And if I told you everything that I'd been dealing with, you'd be like the person who doesn't know what a preacher is. You'd walk away and you'd say, okay. And it would be at that point that I'd want to put my hands around your neck and say, don't you get it? And you'd say, no, I guess I don't. So you know what I like to do from time to time? I like to talk to other preachers. And here's why. We talk the same language. Whenever I say things have been going well, but, they know exactly what that but means. Whenever I say, you know, things have been going fine, but, I don't have to say a lot more than that. I mean, I, I can give them some details and I can give them some explanations and, and they can say, man, I've had a situation just like that or we've recently dealt with something like that. I know exactly what it is you're talking about. And there are just times that, that I enjoy talking to other preachers because we speak the same language, we know what we're talking about, and, and we speak that same language because we have a similar experience in our lives. And that is true of you as much as it is of me. I am sure that there have been times I have come to you on a Sunday or on a Wednesday and I've said to you, how's your week been? And you've said, fine. And you've thought, just leave it there, Brother Kyle. You don't need to ask. We don't need to go any further. Just take it as fine. I could explain it to you, but Brother Kyle, you wouldn't begin to understand it's not that you're ignorant, it's not that you're stupid, but it's just you, you've not been in my position. You don't know what it is I'm dealing with. You don't understand you know, the, the, the issues. You don't understand the, the, the details of it. I mean, Brother Kyle, just whenever I tell you it's fine, or if I just tell you to pray for me, just, just take it at that and just do it. You, you sometimes, and understandably so, you don't want to try to explain all of it to me because even if you did, I would have this glazed over look in my eyes and I'd just look at you like, eh, okay, I'll pray for you. But because of my inexperience in relation to what it is you're talking about, I can't relate. And if you've noticed, that's kind of how our world is set up in many ways. 
How many of us know that there are different groups and there are different support groups and there are certain, certain places that you can go and the reason that you would go to these groups or you would go to these support centers is because those people have something in common with you that you may not have in common with anyone else in your immediate circle. You go there because these people have walked down a similar path. You go there because these people have had similar experiences. And though the exact details may be a little bit different, though the specifics could be, you know, a little bit off from your story to their story, at the end of the day, you can relate because in that particular support group, you, in a sense, speak the same language and you've gone down the, the same path and you know what it is the other person is talking about. If we think about it and if we're honest, here's what we know. That we are thankful that there are people who can identify with us in our own unique situation, our own unique set of circumstances. Do you realize that you're thankful for that tonight? You should. It's important and it's invaluable. Now, why do I say all that and... Spend that much time on the thought. Well, notice in verse number 16, the thoughts continue of the writer. And remember, the Jews that he is writing to don't quite fully understand Jesus. They don't quite fully understand why Jesus had to come to this earth and why he had to die. And we also know that the Jews at this time, for reasons we don't understand and we don't know for sure, is that they held angels in a very high regard. The angels were held in a very high regard on behalf of the Jews, and that's something that the writer has already dealt with quite extensively. So notice in verse number 16 what the writer continues to say. He says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. You and I know this, and they knew this, that the angels were made up of a different nature or of a different, for lack of better words, substance than you and I. An angel would be of a celestial appearance or a celestial being. And so here's what the writer says again to the Jews. He says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So what does that mean? It means this, and we'll see this more in just a couple of moments, that he took on flesh and blood just like the Jews had flesh and blood. The writer is trying to say that whenever Christ came to this earth, there was nothing celestial about him. There was nothing heavenly about him in his makeup or in his appearance or who he was. He says, no, that when he came, he took on him the seed of Abraham. So he took on the flesh and blood like everyone else. In verse number 17, he continues with this thought. He says, wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. What does it mean for it to behoove him? It means this, it was appropriate or it was necessary. So for Christ, the writer says, to be made like unto his brethren, that being fellow Jews, he said it behooved him or it was appropriate or it was necessary for this reason. He says in verse number 17, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that verse I don't know how many times, and I have never thought for one second as to what all is implied in that verse by way of doctrine that the Jews would have just immediately understood and would have immediately known what the writer was talking about. But notice what he says there in verse number 17. He said that it behooved him, it was necessary, it was appropriate that he be a merciful and faithful high priest. What does it mean to be merciful and faithful? It means this, to be kind, to be gracious. It means to be dependable, to be reliable. And so he says it was necessary or it was appropriate for him to take on these characteristics to be a high priest. To be a high priest. What was the high priest? The high priest was the highest priest among the priests in the religious system of things. The high priest is the one who was responsible for the sacrifice and entering into the Holy of Holies on one occasion each year. The Holy of Holies was the one who went in, or I'm sorry, not the Holy of Holies. The high priest was the one who went into the Holy of Holies and would take the blood of the sacrifice and would sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice on the mercy seat. And this was done in an effort to roll back the sin of the Jews for another year. The Jews were never quite fully made right with God under the Old Testament law. Under the Old Testament system, what would happen is this, is that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, and the high priest would do everything he could, humanly speaking, to uh, make things right between the children of Israel and God with the sacrifice that had been offered and the blood placed there on the mercy seat. Now again, my mind doesn't think about about that whenever I read about a high priest. Your mind probably didn't immediately go to that when you read the words high priest. But the Jews who are reading this, they read that it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. So when the Jews read this, they were reminded of what the high priest did. And now this writer is telling me this is what Jesus Christ did, that, that in a sense he was the one who who was the blood and the sacrifice for our sins? And the writer would say that's exactly who he was and what he did. How do we know? In verse 17 he continues and he says this, After being the high priest in things pertaining or relating to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Just as the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood there on the mercy seat, and for again, that next year, roll back the sins of the Jews and them be right, so to speak, with God. The writer says Christ, when He came to this earth and He tasted death on the cross, whenever He did that so that men and women did not have to taste a spiritual death themselves, here is what happened, is that Christ as a high priest, He reconciled us to God, those things pertaining to God, as it related to the sins of people. So Christ through His sacrifice and through His blood, has made reconciliation for all men available with God. Very simply put, here is what the writer says to the Jews, because of the work of Christ, in our, because of the work of Christ on the cross, 
all men are now able to be made right with God. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what the past is. It, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. None of that matters. All can be made right, reconciled for their sins in relation to God. Now in verse number 18, notice what it says. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. What does it mean to be tempted? It, it means this, to be tried. It means to be tested. There are many things that go along with this word tempted. It's not just a matter of being tempted to sin or to be tempted with sin. And he says, for in that, in what? His coming to this earth and being made like unto his brethren, taking on the flesh and the blood. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He said, I want you to understand something, Jews, that Christ, as he came, he himself suffered being tempted and tested and tried. Is that true or is that false? Well, if you read through the scriptures, you discover that it's 100% true. It is absolutely accurate. I mean, the writer is speaking the truth. When you look at the life of Christ and everything he endured, here is what you see. You see that he endured temptation, he endured trials, he endured testings. He endured everything that men and women endure and face and deal with. When you look at the ministry of Christ, here's what you know. You know that Satan tempted him to sin. It was on that occasion where on three different moments, Satan tempted Christ to sin. So there was the temptation to sin, to forsake his, his deity and to, and to forsake his godliness. There was that temptation to surrender his will to the will of Satan. I mean, Christ knew what it was like to be tempted to sin, to be tempted by sin with things that from a human perspective would look very enticing or very promising, something that the flesh would be drawn to. Does this make sense? Christ knew what difficult days were. Christ knew what hard times were. I know we've heard this, but, but for a Jew, this may have been something that was difficult to understand or, or something that they may not have grasped completely. But here is Christ, and he has left the, the beauty and the splendor of heaven. He has left everything that he has known, and he has taken on the form of man. He has taken on the form of the fellow Jews and the flesh and the blood. And as a result of that, you know what Christ had to deal with? Christ had to deal with heartache. And he had to deal with temporary loss this side of heaven. You recognize that, don't you? Here's Christ, and he's been tempted to sin in ways that have would in ways that would have been impressive, so to speak, by way of appealing to the flesh. He has known heartache, he has known disappointment, he has known what it's meant to be forsaken and to be alone. He has known what it's like to have people give lip service and not really mean it. He has known what it's like to be betrayed. I mean, everything that we read about in the Scripture actually took place. And Christ took on Himself the things that He did so that He could suffer being tempted, so that He could go through the trials and the testings. That is something that He could not have done if He had come in the nature or in the form of an angel. Who cares? 
we should care. Why is that important? I'll show us why it's important. Because in verse number 18 he says this, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Okay. How do you normally use the word sucker? You sucker. Okay. We don't use it in the same context in which this is used, right? We're not even talking about the same word. Okay. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, okay, because he has been tempted, what is he now able to do? What is he now capable of doing? He is now able or capable of succoring them that are tempted. What does it mean to succor? It means this, to assist or to come to the aid of one in distress. It it means to assist or come to the aid of one that is in distress. Now follow this. Why did Christ come, a Jew may say? It doesn't make any sense for the Messiah to have come and and, and to be this one that you've explained Him to be. Why did Christ come? And so the writer says, here's why Christ came. So that He may die and so that He may taste death for everyone, spiritually speaking, and free them from that spiritual death. And He came and He died so that He might deliver us from the bondage of our, our fear of death. And as He came and as He lived this life and as He experienced everything that He experienced in the flesh, it is because of that that He is now able or capable to assist us and come to our aid when we are the ones who are tempted. When we are the ones who are tested. When we are the ones who are tried. When we are the ones who have experienced the heaviness The sorrow, the afflictions, the difficulties, the frustrations. The writer says, because of Christ coming in the flesh, he hath been tempted and he suffered that, he endured that, he dealt with that, and because of that, he is now capable of identifying with those of us who are tempted, and because he is able to identify with us, He is able to aid us and assist us in our time of distress. You know what the writer is saying without using these exact words? He is saying because Christ endured what he endured on his time or in his time on earth, he is now able to speak the same language you speak in regards to the temptations or the testings or the trials or the frustrations or the heaviness of this life. Somebody says, well, I I don't quite know exactly what you're talking about. Well, you ever been tempted? Most of us have. In the midst of temptation, let's say to sin, because we've all been tempted to sin, We know that to be true, if you're honest. We've all been tempted to sin, and we've all known that, well, that's a a pretty temptatious tempting. It's pretty tempting, right? 
Yeah, it didn't come out very well, but you should have known exactly what I was talking about. Uh, there are certain sins, and I mean, it's, it's pretty alluring. It looks pretty good. And, and we know, okay, we, we know that that's not right. And we know that we don't need to be involved in that. We know that, that, that Satan is trying to pull us into that. And so what do we do? Because we care about our spiritual lives, we, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, you know that right now I'm struggling as it relates to this temptation. God, you know that, that Satan is pulling at me in, in this particular area of my life. God, you know what I'm struggling with. And you know what the Lord is able to say? He is able to say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because I was there and I experienced it and I dealt with the exact same thing. I was there when Satan tempted me. Just kneel down. All you've got to do is ca- jump off. All you've got to do is turn this stone in, into bread. Hey, hey, I know exactly what you're talking about whenever you're talking about temptation to sin. See, because Christ came and he suffered being tempted. Whenever you and I go to the Lord and we say something like this, Lord, I, I, am, so, I am so weary right now. I am so weary right now, Lord. You know what the Lord's able to say? Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. Man, I was weary. I'd preached all day. I had dealt with people all day. I had performed miracles all day. I just wanted to steal away. I just wanted to get some rest. I just wanted some me time. I I just wanted some alone time. And there I was having my alone time. And you know what? The crowd, listen, listen, listen. The crowd found me again. Man, I know what it's like to be weary, child of God. I speak your language. Somebody may say something like this in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their, in the midst of their pain. Lord, I feel like I've been betrayed. I thought I could count on them. I thought I could depend on them. I, I thought that they would be there for me. Lord, you know that, that they said they were going to, to be there and stick with me and to aid me and to, to be that friend. And God, you know where they're at now. You know they're the ones sticking the knives in my back. God, you know who it is who is attacking me. And you know what the Lord says? I, I, know, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I remember when all the disciples fled and forsook me. And I remember when... When, you know, Judas betrayed me. I know what you're talking about. God, I just feel so alone right now. I'm surrounded by people every day, but God, I feel so alone. I just kind of feel like I'm all by myself. You know what the Lord says? I know. It's tough. I remember when my father turned his back on me. And I cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You realize what the writer explains to these fellow Jews? He says, you need to understand something. Part of the reason that Christ came in the flesh and not in the nature of angels, part of the reason that he took on the the, the nature of the Jews and the nature of Abraham, part of the reason he did that was so that he himself could be tempted by everything and tested and tried by everything that you and I are tempted and tested and tried by. And as a result of that, he is now able to aid and assist us in our time of distress. 
He said, you need to understand something, that because of Christ coming to this earth as God and doing everything that he did, he knows exactly what we're talking about. There is never a time, the writer says to fellow Jews, that you can go to God and say, God, this is what's going on. God, this is what's happening. God, this is what's taking place. And him say something like this, I can't identify. I don't know what you're talking about on that one. See, Christ can identify with everything a person goes through because Christ had a similar, if not exact, experience to what we think or we know we are going through. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be if God could not identify with us? God, I come to you today and I'm weary. I've heard about that, but but I don't know what weariness is because I'm God. God, I I come to you today and, and I feel betrayed. I've seen that happen in the lives of other people, but I I really don't know what that's like because I'm God and I've protected and shielded myself from that ever happening to me. So so I'm sorry, but I really don't know what it is you're talking about. Can you imagine how disappointing and frustrating that would be? Can you imagine if we went to God and we said something like this, God, I feel all alone. God, I feel like, you know, everybody's forsaken me. Can you imagine if he said it it looks tough, but, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. That wouldn't be much of a God to serve, would it be? It wouldn't be much of a God to go to in times of prayer, in times of affliction, in times of heaviness. It would not be very comforting to go to a God that could not identify with you and I. Do we realize this evening the blessing that comes in knowing that Christ has dealt with everything we have dealt with? And because of that, he is able to say, let me help you in this time of need. Let me help you in this time of distress. Let me be an aid to you. Let me help you with this burden. Let me help you with this this struggle that you're dealing with. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that no matter what I'm going through, my God through Christ has already gone through something just like it? It's an encouragement to me. Just this week, I was telling Susie, just this week, just dealing with things that, honestly, some of you may understand, some of you may not understand. Just just talking to Susie, and, and, and there are times that, that she says, Babe, I'm sorry. I know I don't fully understand what it is you're saying. But I'm sorry. So just this week, as I was wrestling with all this, you know, I say all this, as I was wrestling with with different things and just ministry stuff that I wouldn't want to bore you all with, there was this reminder. I can take it to God. And God knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I know that God did not say in a literal, audible voice, Hey, Kyle, I've been there. 
But you know what I was able to do this week? I was able to remind myself, where I'm at right now, God's been there. Whatever I'm dealing with today, God's been there. Are the exacts and the specifics the same? Well, maybe not. I mean, we're dealing with different names and different faces, but I can tell you, and I can promise you, the principles are the same. And whenever I remembered and whenever I reflected on the truth that God's already been there and God's already experienced that and God's already dealt with that, you know, God is able to help me deal and and he's aiding me in the midst of any of this and all of this because he's already experienced it. Friends, when you are distressed... When the heaviness, as we talked about this morning, is taking its toll, you should find great joy in knowing. He understands. He understands completely and entirely. He knows exactly what you are talking about. You don't have to try to explain it to him. You don't have to try to break it down in terms that he can understand. No, he's got it. Trust me, he's got it because he's already been through it. And it's because of that he is able to aid you in the midst of your difficulties. And if that's not a pick-me-up in your daily walk, there is no such thing as a pick-me-up. It's just that simple. If this truth does not encourage you, if this truth does not bless you, if this truth does not give you a shot in the arm and motivate you to just go ahead and do one more day, then there is nothing that myself or any other self-help preacher out there could give you that would do it for you. He is able to succor them that are tempted because he himself has already been tempted. And he came through it Perfectly and completely and entirely. And he will aid us to do the same if we go to him. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I do thank you. I thank you so much for the truth of this passage. It's such a powerful passage to think about the fact that you are the high priest for all of mankind. You paid the ultimate price with your